Hello, friends. Hello once again, everybody. This is the Improv and Magic Podcast, and I'm your host, L.D. Madera. As always, I hope you're doing well today, and maybe I can make your day a little bit better. As you all know, I've had the chance to talk to some amazing improv actors and magicians on this podcast. But today's a special episode, because my guest is not an improv actor, he's not a magician, but he is someone I love and admire. He's the next big thing in Hollywood. He's my friend, Jose Prendes. Jose is a writer, director, and producer of various films that include The Monster Man, Corpses Are Forever, The Haunting of Whaley House, Mega Shark vs. Mecha Shark, Unspeakable Horrors, The Plan 9 Conspiracy, The Legend of La Llorona, and The Headless Horseman. His latest film is called The Exorcists, which he wrote and directed with an amazing cast that includes Kayla Fields, Denise Duff, Victor Maraña, and Doug Bradley. In The Exorcists, Jose managed to do the impossible, shoot an entire movie in just six days. Jose Prendes is also an author, and his books include The Harbinger, Sharks of the Living Dead, Viewer Beware, The Goosebumps TV Companion, The Are You Afraid of the Dark Campfire Companion, Shark Kano, and Elementary My Dear Watson, The Outstanding Adventures of the Ancient Dragon. Jose has been my best friend for 30 years. Ever since we've known each other back in high school, I could tell that he was destined to do amazing things in the film world. Movies are in this man's DNA, and he has a strong passion and love for making films that people will enjoy and remember. In our conversation, we talk about how movies have always played a big role in his life, and he also shares very honestly his enjoyments and frustrations with becoming a director. I am proud to call this man my friend, and I am especially proud to share our conversation with you today. Please enjoy today's guest, Jose Prendes. My friends, I'm here with the next big name in Hollywood. This guy has been my best friend for 30 years. He's the amazing Jose Prendes. How you doing, Jose? 30 years? Has it really been that long? Wow. Yeah, well, I think next year it will have been 30 years because we started high school together in 1994. I don't remember years, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. That's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm happy to know you, Louis. Uh, thank you for uh, for having me on, man. Man, well, thank you so much for being here. Um, how are things going with you these days? I know you've had a lot going on. Uh, yes, I would say it's probably my, uh, at least uh, filmmaking-wise, it's my most fruitful, uh, that's a weird phrase, but it's it's my most uh, um, active period in terms of, as of now, being able to make a movie a year. Uh, so th- things have been going very well, yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. You're now in this groove where as one project ends, another one begins. Is that sort of what you prefer to always have something else lined up? Absolutely. I'm always thinking about the next thing. Uh, you know, when one thing wraps, I'm like, okay, so what's the next project? What's the next movie? Because uh, that's just 
kind of how it is. You know, that's that that's as as a as a filmmaker, that's what you really want to you know have happen. You want that kind of train of work because it's so hard to find work in film, and so it could be oh I, I'm shooting something in in two months, or I my next movie won't be for three years, and it's scary, but it is it's the reality of filmmaking, and um, I'm in a position now uh, thanks to uh, Asylum Films that. Uh, they trust me enough, and and they like my work enough that I can, I can at least for the most part count on on steady work. At least it seems to be that way so far. You've been working with Asylum Films for a number of years now, haven't you? Yeah, uh, I they put out my uh, my second movie, uh, which which you're in, Corpses Are Forever, and uh, you know got us a nice blockbuster release, which is super cool. Back in the day, good old blockbuster. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you know when, when we moved to California, me and my wife, we you know I knocked on their door and I'm like, hey, I'm here, I, I want to make movies, and they, you know, to their credit, brought me in and like, yeah, absolutely, come on in, let's let let let's get you work and wrote for them, um, directed one thing for them at the time, uh, the Hunting of Whaley House, which is available everywhere now, Tubi and all that stuff, um, and and then I sort of. Um, I took some time off to do the Hollywood game, you know, knock on all the studio doors and I won a contest and I, you know, I, I made a couple other films outside of asylum and, uh, and then just ended after the pandemic, I just kind of ended back at the asylum because they never stopped making movies. They, they even through the pandemic, they made 30 movies that year. So oh, wow. uh, yeah, during shutdown, somehow, <laughs> These these crazy bastards uh, were were like, I mean, I I still don't know how they pulled it off, but um, they never stopped. And so I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll knock on their door because I know that they will, uh, they won't for the most part turn me down, you know. And uh, and here we are, uh, two movies now with a third one on the horizon. So it's been a good partnership with you and them. Yeah. Yeah, for you know, it's 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 hard. You know, it has its ups and downs of making a movie with any. I mean, any company and any bunch of producers or whatever, it's difficult. But um, it, you know, having that trust and having that uh, um, support, you know, even though it's not there necessarily monetarily or schedule wise, um, it, it's been it's been very good. And it's definitely it, it's nice to feel respected as an artist, um, uh, which is hard to find, very hard to find. Um, especially in the indie world, but, uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm happy. Definitely, definitely a good partnership. Yeah. Well, every project always has its share of difficulties. And I think from what we always hear from like, you know, news media and stuff like that, the difficulties are different for every single project. Would you say that that's true for you with all of the films that you've worked on? Every, yeah, I mean, you can, you can make 20, uh, 40, 60 movies and it'll be a different thing. Um, every movie is a different experience. Every movie will have, you know, different hurdles. You know, you can have amazing actors on one and then the next, uh, the next film you have, you have a, an actor who is just a, a heel and you just hate them and it's a pain to go to work every day and they bring the movie down, you know, or you have crew members who are sabotaging the production Luckily, I've never had to experience those things, but I've heard horror stories, um, and I hope I never really have to <laughs> deal with that. But every, yeah, every experience is different. Absolutely. Well, let's start at the beginning of the Jose Prendes story. Where did you grow up, and what was growing up like for you? 
Uh, I grew up in uh, Miami, Florida, and uh, my parents uh, were Cuban. My father was a, a political prisoner in Cuba. Um, he actually met my mom when she was visiting a cousin in, in prison. And uh, once uh, you know he got out, they got married, and they wanted me to be born here. So they left Cuba as soon as possible. But I think due to some issues with visas and stuff, I got I was born in in Venezuela. So uh, I think I spent maybe three months there, and then the rest of my childhood was Miami. Uh, and um, I have fond memories of growing up for the most part. Uh, but it was you know traumatic in terms of. Uh, my family life, my parents passed away when I was five. So I didn't, you know, I was thrown into sort of chaos in terms of my home life. Uh, but my uh, godmother and godfather brought me in. And now they're my mother and father, you know, for all intents and purposes. And my, my, my godfather, my dad now, he uh, was a big movie guy. And he would always tape stuff off of HBO. And, he, you know, he, he had a, a massive VHS collection of just recording stuff off of HBO and Showtime and all that stuff. So that's where my love of movies really began in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of the collecting aspect, uh, I should say. But I, I, I think I, I went to see Superman. I want to say it's Superman 2. Uh, I, it, it's hard because I don't remember the dates. But I know it's a Superman movie. And um, I remember the audience's reaction and. Uh, I was young, and and I'm pretty sure I saw it with my real father, so I must have been four or something like that. But I remember the audience's reaction. And I remember thinking, "Man, that's that's cool. That's magic up there. We're all we're all experiencing a form of magic." Speaking of magic, we're on a, a magic podcast, so <laughs> right. you know, uh, movies are to me the real magic because it's 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 you are creating something out of nothing, and you're transporting people and you're giving them an experience that you wouldn't get. Normally, you know, uh, you, you're able to indulge the fantasies and the dream worlds and all this stuff and all the senses too, all the emotions. And I wanted to be a part of that so bad. And uh, um, so I knew early on movies was the thing I wanted to do the most. And then once I got to my, um, you know, my godfather's house and he had all these movies and I could, it, there was no limits. I could watch whatever I wanted. Um, as you know, <laughs> I, I've, right. I've made you watch a couple of crazy shit. In the past, uh, you know. In the past, I, you still do. Why? Oh, that's true. That's true. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. Um, um, you know, without those limits, I was able to watch a lot of things. I was able to explore everything in terms of you know genre cinema, and uh, th that's sort of where I grew my my language of cinema, my understanding of what it was, and and at least my version of understanding it. Because it's, I don't think it's anything you can necessarily. You know, two people can write something about a movie and they'd have different opinions. And I think that's part of the ephemeral magic of movies. You can't necessarily say, I mean, you can say, yes, Die Hard is about an action, you know, it's an action movie with explosions. But the reason that it is uh, stood the test of time and become a Christmas classic, that's magic. That's indefinable why that is. Yes, it's a good movie, but there's got to be more to it. It's got to make you feel something, you know, and um exploring that has sort of been my 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 life's goal to try to figure that out and be a part of that magic in a way so um my childhood was sort of framed by movies and it's it's continued to be devoted to movies as, as much as i you know can humanly devote 
You know, one thing that has always amazed me about you ever since you and I have been friends is that you have such an extensive knowledge of movies, not just the popular ones that we know, but even the lesser known ones. And you don't just know the actors, you know who directed it, you know who wrote it, who produced it, you know about everything surrounding that film. Do you love to just find out about every single detail about what made that movie what it was? You know, it's interesting. I, I did at the beginning um, when I before film school, before, uh, you know, uh, being, you know, making movies and things like that before being in the industry. Uh, absolutely. And and that was the time when special features were just starting to come out on, on DVD and some VHS companies would put out, you know, special features at the end, like Full Moon, um, you know, uh, so. Yes, loved all that. And, you know, watching behind the scenes would excite me. I'm like, oh, my God, it looks like so much fun. Oh, man. And then you'd see bloopers. you see the actors, like, playing pranks on each other on, and doing the interviews. And, like, oh, man, it looks like so much fun. I want to be a part of that so bad. Um, so I absolutely would try and soak up as much information as possible. But nowadays, uh, now that I'm in the industry and I, I kind of know how the sausage is made, I'm not necessarily as interested how other movies are made. I, I, I like I, I buy a lot of Blu-rays and 4Ks and things now, but I don't, I don't ever really watch any of the behind-the-scenes featurettes because I kind of know what I'm going to get. Oh, I liked making this movie, or oh, it was difficult to make this movie, um, or I'll watch it and then I literally the next day will forget everything because my mind is like, I don't have room for this. I, you know, I, I just, I know I've seen the movie and I like the movie. I don't need to know that the guy had diarrhea during this scene, you know, or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, oh, oh, I, I dated that girl. I don't care. That doesn't affect, you know, to me, it's, it almost muddies the water. The movie is the magic. You know what I mean? It's like, do you go see, you know, David Copperfield? Do you need to know that this trick was inspired by a sandwich he ate, you know, when, you know, uh, uh, when, when he went to go see uh, Beethoven 3 in theaters? You know, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't necessarily make the trick cooler. It's just like, okay, that was weird, but just show me the damn trick. Um, personally, that's me anyway, because I, you know, it's like, if you work at Starbucks, would you watch a documentary about Starbucks? Probably not. Cause you work there, you know, it's, it's not as interesting to you. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at when it comes to uh, seeking knowledge. But I, uh, in terms of knowing like the directors and the things, that's just stuff I, I pick up because I'm I'm uh, aware of uh, of those names and and sort of aware of the actors and things like that. So it, it it's more of a osmosis thing than me going out and necessarily doing research on it. Well, you've always been a big avid collector, and to this day, you're constantly expanding your movie collection. And I remember I'd go to your house, and your room would just be filled with all these VHSs and and DVDs. You know, I would just see all of these movies stacked up. Are you just someone who just has to see more movies as much as you can? Absolutely, I'm I'm a very voracious movie watcher. Um, I mean, to this day, you know, now as a father with two children and and, and work and all this stuff, it's harder. But my I, I try to watch at least two movies a day, two new movies a day if possible. Um, so I, I I do my best to watch as many as many movies as possible. I think every every filmmaker should you should watch good movies, you should watch bad movies. Uh, Martin Scorsese, you know, said it best: you learn from every movie, uh, and it's absolutely true. You know, oh, that's a great concept, but I hate how they shot it. Or I really didn't like this performance. Why didn't I like it? Oh, I know, because the guy 
didn't sound genuine when he said these lines, you know, all that stuff is so crucial as a filmmaker because you're, you're everything. You're not just the actor. You're not just the writer. You, you have to marry it all together. So you should have a good idea of what works for you and what doesn't. Well, everyone who knows you know that you have developed a particular affection for the horror movie genre. What is it about horror that really appeals to you? Um, I think it was because um, it's it's the genre that most people, um, you know, were scared of, you know, and if you say, oh, I like that movie, like, oh, that was scary. I couldn't watch it. Most people go, hmm, you couldn't watch it, huh? But I could watch it. So that's interesting. And it, maybe it's a thing where you kind of feel like not necessarily a power trip, like, oh, I'm better than you or anything, but it, it, it's almost like a secret a secret power, like, oh, you could watch a scary movie where that person couldn't. And and ultimately, movies are, you know, movies are wish fulfillment, and horror movies are wish fulfillment for the hero. Most horror movies, um, people say, oh, it's bloody, it's scary, it's just, you know, monsters and people running around. No, it's survival. It's, it's, it's you know, the human will being tested to its limit. You know, the reason horror movies are watched over and over again is because we're rooting for the hero we're rooting for it's the same as an action movie so there's a lot of power to be found in a horror movie you know uh the it, it, people say there's not enough female representation in movies the entire horror genre is female representation the final girl is a term for a reason because the final girl is the hero man she survives and we want to see her survive we root for her it's the it's the passion so, you know, I, I think horror movies get a bad rap because obviously there's there, there's some, you know, awful stuff out there that's just meant to be gross and weird and, you know, and, and off-putting. But most most horror movies, the stuff that stands the test of time um, it does so for a reason, does so because um, it, it's made to remind people, hey, no matter what, you can you can survive, you can do this, you can get through it. Um, you know, you just have to be, you just have to be tougher than the toughest thing you've ever experienced. And maybe that's Jason, maybe that's, I don't know, Jigsaw, but, uh, it, it, it's just a reminder for people that, uh, look, there's bad shit in the world. Uh, but as long as you don't give up on yourself, uh, you can get through it. And I think, uh, that's kind of a, kind of a beautiful message. And, and most people don't normally see that because they think it's just, you know, blood and boobs and, uh, you know, people screaming and, Fine, but you have to look under the surface. You know, it is art for a reason, and uh, uh, that's lost on people sometimes. Yeah, there are a lot of people out there who, when you mention that you love horror movies, they immediately get sort of this negative reaction and are like, oh, how could you love horror movies? They're so violent. They're so full of blood and guts. And, you know, aren't you supporting violence when you watch those movies? And I think when people say that, I think they kind of miss the point entirely because like you said there is a beauty that lies underneath all of that gore and and all of that violence and like you said it's it's the survival aspect that i think draws us really into it yeah i you know it's most people who say that don't watch horror movies and i'll tell you what most of the horror actors i've met pretty much all the horror actors i've met like uh, you know who've played monsters are the nicest sweetest kindest people uh, the the nicest kind of sweetest actors i've ever met on the reverse most comedians are complete 
assholes. <laughs> just, and you you hear it. Yeah, you, you you know you hear about Ellen DeGeneres. You hear about all these people that are just oh they're so happy and nice on camera, but you know uh, you know backstage off camera they're they're monsters. And you never really hear that about the movie monsters because these people uh, not only uh, are you know genuine actors who know that they they're putting on a, a mask, they're putting on a face, they're putting on a performance. And they're entertaining people. They're there to entertain you. Um, but then when they take that off, they're the sweetest, kindest people. And I think maybe because they got to exercise that on camera and they, they got to sort of get out their demons. And you can speak to this as an actor. You know, it's it's nice to be able to, you know, uh, it, you know, let the steam out in a, in a crazy role, but then, then step away from it and kind of feel like, ah, I feel better. Kind <laughs> of like a big exercise or something. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of therapeutic qualities in being in a horror movie. Yes, very well said. Yeah, there are a lot of horror movies nowadays where, like you mentioned, that there's really no survival aspect. It's just to be shocking. It's just you know organs popping out and and stuff like that. There's a lot more of that lately, mostly in the independent circuit. I think. Do you think that that kind of harms the genre in a way? No, I mean, I, I, you know, horror fans are very smart. Uh, believe it or not, uh, you know, they're they're very aware of what's you know what's genuine and what isn't. Sure, there's a lot of gore movies out there, whatever. But I think, um, you know, uh, and they have they have their audience or whatever. But you know, the stuff that, again that stands the test of time, of time is the stuff that um, you know r- r- genuinely makes an impact and uh, honestly all that gore and violence those kind of movies don't really find a, a big audience anyway so i wouldn't necessarily think it it hurts movies um I, you know horror in general and honestly even if it got publicity then it would, honestly would only really attract people to go watch it so uh, either way i think it, it doesn't the only thing that really hurts horror is when people you know, uh, talk down on it and uh, sort of consider it a, a lesser than uh, genre. Um, but I think consistently it's proven as one of the most successful genres of all time. All of the fantasy ones, you know, uh, yes, the drama movies win Oscars, but I can't tell you the name of the of last year's Oscar winner or or the or maybe or the one before that. Nobody remembers those. The, Once in a Blue Moon, Forrest Gump, uh, I guess Parasite, but I don't know what year that was. But, you know, it's nobody really remembers the Oscar movies, but you remember Scream. You know, you remember those movies that, you know, necessarily made an impact. And it's usually the genre movies that, you know, that uh, leave a lasting impression at the end of the day. You know, I've always been curious, why is it that horror movies don't really make it to the Oscars? Why is it always the the tearjerker dramas that make it to the Oscars and never a, a horror movie? It's a good question. Uh, the last, you know, real horror movie, you know, and I wouldn't even really call it a horror movie. I think it's a stretch. But what people consider a horror movie was Silence of the Lambs, and that ended up winning. Uh, it, but uh, Silence is considered a horror movie. Um, I think I think mainly it's because it's 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 sort of um, thought less of. Uh, I think if I think if there was a horror movie that ended up making a billion dollars, then potentially. It would, uh, you know, make an impact at the Oscars, but uh, it's yeah, it's 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 just it's just one of those things. Even if it's got an amazing knockout performance by an actor, it's it's, you know, those are rare. But every once in a while, maybe you get an actor nomination uh, in the Golden Globes and things like that. But uh, the Oscars are kind of hoity-toity, and uh, 
Um, it's going to become even more difficult now with the Oscars with their new rules. Uh, I don't know if that went into effect yet, but uh, yeah, it's a whole other thing. Yeah. So the short answer is follow the money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which horror movie would you say is the horror movie that you love the most? Um, well, I've got, I've got two, uh, that I consider my favorites of all time. Um, uh, but so I'll say both, but I'll, I'll lean toward one, uh, Jaws and Scream, my absolute favorite horror movies. Uh, but I'm going to lean toward Jaws just cause I've, I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen it the most, uh, it's neck and neck, honestly, but, uh, Jaws is just an incredibly well-made movie, uh, on every level, just every shot, every um, just the way if you you can study that movie and learn so much. Just the way he tells he tells uh, a character motivation by the way the camera moves, or, or the way an actor looks over. And it's it's a movie that's very layered. You could watch it a thousand times and notice different things, different little subtext layers that maybe it, it, Spielberg didn't intend, or, or maybe the actor didn't intend. But when they were in the scene, when they were playing the character, they felt it and they did it, and and you know, and it reads and it it lends you know, so much more of an interpretation than just what's on the surface of the scene. So th there's a lot to that movie that's quite powerful beyond it being a really good shark movie. Um, it's um, it's just an expertly well-crafted movie. And I mean, it stood the test of time for a reason because it's, it's just fucking great. Yeah, it is. A, it really is a, a timeless film. And I think that's also one of those movies that's also famous for all the behind the scenes stories because you hear all about Bruce the shark, how he kept, sinking to the bottom of the ocean and how it just kept not working and not working. Do stories like that bring you more into the story or does it make you appreciate the film even more? Um, you know, I, 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 I love that that's the case. Cause you always hear about, um, it always seems to be the case when a movie has the most difficult behind the scenes, it, it turns out to be sort of a blessing in disguise because those movies become incredibly successful like jaws uh, like The Exorcist, um, you know, those movies had really difficult behind, you know, behind the scenes making of, you know, situations. Of course, they had the money to deal with it. So it wasn't that bad. I mean, oh, the shark isn't working. Well, we're on vacation. So whatever. And we're still getting paid. Who cares? It's very different on my level of filmmaking. Well, if something, you know, something doesn't work, it's catastrophic because we can't afford to do go without it. Um, does it, it does it make me like the movie more? Not necessarily. I feel a movie... Like the reason I don't really watch special features is because I don't think the special feature should or the knowledge of whatever happened in the movie should affect my enjoyment of the movie. Like my last two movies, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say, hey, you should like it because we made it in six days under a hundred thousand dollars that. Yeah. And, and it doesn't look that it doesn't look like it was a six day movie, you know, under a hundred grand. Uh, neither of them do, uh, at least in my opinion and other people's that I've heard, they're really impressed with it. But I wouldn't necessarily go out of my way to say, oh, you have to like it now because of this. You know, uh, you know, oh, you, you probably thought it sucks, but let me tell you about this. Now do you like it more? I don't think it, it you know, the movie should speak for itself at the end of the day. And, um, uh, you know, that's how I, I view a movie. And um, I, I, I my movie should be viewed the same way. Either you, you liked it or you didn't like it. You don't need to know how long it, it took us to make it or anything like that. You just need to, you know either enjoy or not enjoy the, um, the movie at the end of the day. Well, you know, we're talking a lot about horror. However, what's interesting is that when you and I were in high school, 
there was a movie that we watched that actually made a really big impact on you. And that's It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. What was it about It's a Wonderful Life that really made an impact on you? Uh, It's a Wonderful Life and Jaws are on the top of the list of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, You know, Scream only inches in there for horror. But It's a Wonderful Life is still a movie I love dearly. And and look, when we when we talk about when we talk about movie magic, um, that movie is a perfect example of movie magic. Um, one of my, you know, I think as an artist, we all worry about is am I doing anything worthwhile? Am I wasting my time? Not that we necessarily all want to be, you know, Spielberg's or you know, make a massive impression and. You know, God knows you're not going to make any money in this business, really, unless, you know, you're at a different level. And even then, you probably aren't making consistent work anyway. Uh, but, you you know, as an artist, you wonder, you know, uh, is when I'm gone, is anyone going to remember? You know, am I doing anything that's going to make a difference in the world? You know, uh, regardless of what you believe or you don't believe where you go after you die, you know, you do wonder what's what is your purpose? What do you leave behind? You know, you know, what is your legacy? You know, for example, and it's wonderful life answers that movie in such a beautiful way. And I feel like this is maybe a handful of movies that were meant to be made. And it's wonderful life is a movie that was just meant to be made. And for example, that's another movie that had a very difficult production. And when it came out in theaters, it bombed, it made like, like almost no money. Oh, I and, didn't know that. Yeah, no, it was a major bomb. Like it, it like it, it almost killed Frank Capra's career. Um, and it was, it was, it was a disaster. It, it is only until years, decades later that the movie really, you know, was discovered as this magic, you know, movie that people didn't realize it at the time. It's kind of insane when that happens, but it, you know, like Van Gogh died penniless until you know, you know, then he became famous after he was dead, which sucks. You know, but, you know, he ended up leaving this legacy that hopefully maybe he's aware of. Who knows? But It's a Wonderful Life reminds us that uh, every day you're making a difference. Every day your life is important. And whether you know it or not, oh, you held the door for somebody. Maybe that person was about to commit suicide. And your little act of humanness, hey, let me hold the door for you you know, changed their mind, gave them hope. Yeah. You know what? There, there are, not everybody's an asshole in this world. I'm going to hang in there one more day, you know, or, you know, uh, you, you, that's a, that's a big thing, but just, you know, a small little thing um, could, could have big repercussions, you know, down the line, you're nice to somebody. And then two years later, you know, they hire you for something. Hey, I remember you were really kind to me and I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to work with you, and uh, and I thought it'd be really nice if we did something together. So, you, it's a movie that reminds you that you're you're not a failure. Um, we tend to judge ourselves by money and and things like that, and um, in terms of the success, but just existing, you know, just doing your best every day and uh, being a good person uh, is enough um, of a of a difference in the world. If you, you know, don't bring in, you know, negativity and, uh, you know, and, and hatred, um, you know, and hurt other people, then you are succeeding. You're leaving the world a better place by just being here and being a good person. And, 
such a powerful message, you know, because you never know. You never know, uh, you know, the person you you become, you know, become friends with. You change the course of their life. And maybe if you weren't there, they would, who knows, become a serial killer or something. You know, it's again, an extreme, but uh, It's a Wonderful Life shows us sort of what happens with his wife. And, you know, she becomes, a, you know, a sad spinster. She doesn't have any kids and his kids aren't born. And then they can't, you know, do whatever they're going to do in their life. And it's that sort of series of dominoes that that movie explores. And it's such a powerful movie, but done in such a very simple human way. It doesn't, doesn't, it's not overly religious at all. It doesn't hit anything over the head about reincarnation or anything like that. It just tells you the story of a man who thought he failed and he was wrong. He was, he was, he was an incredible success and he was integral to not only his family, but the town. And it's one of those things where you don't really, you don't, as the audience get that until the end of the movie, when you see him and not in the world, you're like, Holy crap. Oh my God. That's what this movie was doing this whole time. They were telling us this and we didn't see it. And that's why it's such a rewatchable movie. Cause you can go back. And you can watch it over, and you know, oh, so we're seeing, we're seeing this, uh, you know, with with Violet because you know he, we know that he helps Violet turn her life around and all this stuff, and Uncle Billy and all the things, and it's it's such a, I mean, I don't want to go on and on about it, but I just think it's such a powerful movie because it's simply made, um, it's a human movie, it, it's a genuine piece of art, and honestly, if you haven't seen it, um, please do do your soul a favor, you need to see that movie. I absolutely agree with you. And one of the reasons why it's a movie that continues to stand the test of time is because it also gives a good message about how to reevaluate what your version of success is. And I had a guest on the, on the podcast who talked exactly about that, Carissa Hendricks. Nowadays, because of things like the internet and social media and what we see uh, out there on TV, we have this idea of what success is but it's really kind of a shallow view of it because people see success as the limousines and the big mansions and the big record or movie deals. But being successful could also mean having an impact on people. And I think that's something that needs to be reiterated more and more and more, which is why I I think that's one of the reasons why It's a Wonderful Life still stands the test of time. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think having an impact on, on people is kind of what we want, right? We want we want to be able to not necessarily, you know, shape people's thoughts, but we, we want to be able to prove that we were here. And if we can do that without really even realizing that we're doing that, it kind of leads a lot of uh, weight to just existing and leading a, a life of existence, an existence, I should say, that's uh, full of integrity. And it's something that uh, a lot of people don't nowadays, which is, which sucks, but uh, maybe they need to watch uh, It's a Wonderful Life to remember them. <laughs> remember that they should do that. Yeah. So at what point did you make the decision that you definitely wanted to make movies? Uh, man, like, like, uh, like I said, I was like five. Uh, I was very young. I'm like, I want to do this. I don't know how to do this, but I want to do this. At first, you know, as a kid, it was I want to be an actor and I'm gonna, I want to be Robocop. I want to be John McClane, all this stuff. And then, you know, the more I really learned about the process, I'm like, no, I'm going to, I want to write them too. I'm like, no, the real power is the director. And so little by little sort of found my, my, my way to what exactly I wanted to do. But I knew movies were 
a hundred percent my my goal, and nothing was going to stand in my way. Um, and and so far that's that's true. Uh, I've you know left left Miami and uh, moved to LA to pursue it and put in my own money to make movies. So it's you know it, it's one of those things where you really have to you really have to commit because this is a career that is not going to be handed to you. Some of the memories that I still hold dear in my heart is us in high school and making the movies that you would write. And it was, it would be you, me, and then our other friends, uh, George and Javier, uh, shout out to them. We were this band of brothers back then. And yeah, I was always yeah. amazed by how serious you took that. Cause you know, back then, you know, we were just, you know, teenagers, fooling around but you took it so seriously you wrote the script you took multiple takes if we weren't doing it right you would get mad at us (laughs) 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 and uh you know i mean you took it so seriously which is why i knew you were gonna make it in movies because i never saw someone so passionate about it as, as you do you remember kind of what was driving you as we did those movies back in high school yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, sorry, I have an anger issue, so I'm sorry if I lost my temper too much. But uh, <laughs> uh, and I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But um, you know, you're forgiven. To me, they, you're forgiven. Thank you, thank you. Uh, you know, to me, they they weren't pretend. They they weren't just for fun. This is this was serious. This was practice. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to release these in theaters, but I knew that they were uh, they were practice, and I and I wanted to get it as 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 good as possible to uh, you know uh, uh, to write on the money as 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 I could with what we had, which was, you know, uh, you know, at the time, uh, unprofessional actors and, and unprofessional, you know, writer director who didn't really know what, the, what was going on, but trying to figure out, Oh, this is a cool shot. Oh, this is a good angle. Oh, this is what's meant. You know, I didn't know all the terms and the lingo until I went to film school, but like, Oh, this shot looks weird. Oh, I see you. I, they're both looking the same way. So I have to aim the camera on this side and, so all that stuff. I mean, you have to practice. It's 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 crucial to to practice. And so, so you guys were my you guys were my 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 paint set for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah, and what was cool was it wasn't all horror movies. I mean, you experimented with different types of movies. We did action movies. Uh, we we did a drama, and I remember that drama was called "The Sun Is Always the Sun" because you misspelled <laughs> the title, so you had to change it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was there was also a Christmas movie that we did, which was kind of like your version of It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, vaguely, I remember uh, uh, I was an angel for some reason, but uh, but it was cool uh, how yeah. you just experimented with so many different things. You didn't just pigeonhole yourself into one genre. Yeah, I mean, it, it you know it depends when when you're right now. I'm sort of in the the horror genre only because it's sort of like starting to make a name there and it's easier to get work doing horror movies but i love all kinds of movies you know i think every, every filmmaker should watch all kinds of films whenever possible i try to change it up as much as possible um the movies i watch i just watched a, a hong kong movie called magic crystal uh but now i'm watching the life of louis pasteur with, with paul muni which is a, a movie from 19 1940 something it's a black and white biopic of of uh um uh, Emil Zola, the writer. So it's you know very different from a, a goofy Hong Kong action comedy, but I, I I think I think it's important to watch all kinds of different movies. And yeah, we 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 experimented, but the 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 most fun stuff was the action stuff and the horror stuff because that was then we could we could have a little more kind of goofy fun with it. 
And every year for your birthday, your birthday party was the same thing. You held an award show for all the movies we did that year. Yep. Good times. And you won, yeah. I think you won a couple of uh, Best Actor Awards, sir. Um, I remember only winning Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> or, oh, or really? maybe I'm I, wrong. I, I, I don't remember either, but in my mind, in my mind, you, you, in my mind, you were a winner, man. <laughs> so where did you go to film school? Uh, in Miami, there was a, uh, I don't want to call it a trade school, but it was like a, a two year associates program, um, at a school that doesn't exist anymore called International Fine Arts College. Um, and it was the only place I found nearby. Because I didn't want to go to college, honestly. I was like, I'm not, I'm not gonna need college. I just, got, I just need to start making movies. I'm done. I hate school. I just want to make movies. That's all I want to do. But my parents are like, oh, you should go to college. It's good to have a degree. Blah blah blah. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do a two year associates program somewhere, just to say I have a degree and 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 then I can get some knowledge on filmmaking and whatever. So I went there for two years and got the the program. I got the Got to shoot on 16 millimeter and, you know, make a whole bunch of, you know, little fun short films there and um, and met a couple of really great crew people that, you know, went on to help me on my first film, which I shot on 35 millimeter, which is now a rarity. Um, and the shooting on 35, I mean, it's a rarity. Um, but yeah, film school was, was, was fine. I mean, it was, it was, uh, you know, there were things in it that, uh, I didn't love a couple of teachers I, I didn't I didn't jive with, which which is weird because you would think everybody every film school person should be cool, but I, I feel like I don't know there, there was a weird uh, there was a weird energy at the school, but I it was there two years and I was out and and I, I learned the lingo. That's but I, if anybody asked me, do you need film school to be a uh, a filmmaker, I would say no, absolutely you do not. Go go make a movie instead. Um, no one's gonna look at your resume and go, "Where did you go to school?" No one asks that. No one gives a crap. It's just, what experience do you have? Oh, have you been on a film set? Have you made a movie? You know that kind of stuff. Have you written scripts? If you want to be a writer, write scripts. Write, 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 write. I started writing in in high school. I never stopped. That's all you have to do um, to really um, knock on the door in Hollywood. No one cares where you went to school, honestly. So you were just kind of going through the motions when you when you got that associate's degree. Basically, yeah. And so then after that, you made your first film, which was, if I remember correctly, The Monster Man. Yep. Which just got released on Blu-ray, right? It will be. Uh, it's coming out. Uh, it's, it's a re-release. It was originally released on DVD back in the day. And uh, we're getting a Blu-ray release, uh, hopefully at the end of the year. And uh, I'm excited to revisit that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was uh, it was a lot of fun. That was literally literally out of film school uh, again. Just uh, me and some friends and um, a, a video camera, and we went out and made some crazy shit. You got to work with Conrad Brooks on that film. Yes, the, uh, an amazing actor from back in the day. Um, he appeared in a lot of Ed Wood movies. And I, I love, I love Conrad. I, I miss him dearly. He passed away a few years ago and um, he, he was eh, not the best actor, but he, he was a genuine human being and he loved making movies so much. 
uh, and that it was infectious. And that's why he made so many. Um, uh, he just really, really loved it. He was he was really fun to work with, uh, and 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 he became a he became a friend, and somebody that um, I worked with uh, technically twice because uh, he appears in my next one. But it was a short film that I sort of repurposed for the movie. Um, but he's great. And, um, I, I miss him dearly. When you were working with Conrad Brooks on that first film, what were some things that you were learning as you were going through that process with him? In terms of working with, uh, with, the, uh, with him in particular or working with actors? Uh, in general, in general. Um, I, you know, it's every actor is different. Every actor approaches the material different. So I, I kind of learned how to, um, direct them. I mean, again, this is really, you know, working with professional actors. I also had Denise Duff on there who was, you know, she'd been on in soap operas and a whole bunch of movies and uh, other stuff. So these are professional actors that have been on, you know, million dollar sets. And and here they are in my movie that was maybe $2,000. And uh, <laughs> it would have been awful if they didn't give a shit, if they were awful, you know, mean people and they, and they just kind of turned their nose up at it. But they were very much um, team players, and they wanted to come to play. And again, they you know they all, they love to make movies. And um, for me, it was just sort of learning how do I how do I get the performance I want from him or, or, or anybody, you know, and 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 not do it in a way where no, just say it exactly like I'm saying it right now. Blah 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 blah. You know, line readings. Nobody wants line readings, and so I try to not do that. You know, I, I you know, but uh, I do write in a certain cadence. So I, uh, when I hear it in my head, if the actor doesn't nail that tone or that feel, then then I'll step in and go, you know, this doesn't feel right. Let's let's try it like this, and it's a learning process. You're you're not gonna become a director from you know uh, your first movie. It's 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 a learning process because uh, that's sort of the beauty of of art. You know, you 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 grow with it and you you learn what you like and what you don't like and like oh, in the next movie I probably shouldn't say this or do that. But every movie is a learning experience, which is kind of what I love about it, but also what leads to the instability of it. And you can't necessarily predict what will happen. Like this career, you can't you can't you can't predict a steady paycheck because uh, they're almost non-existent. Do you feel like you have to really make sure that you're directing the actors, or do you prefer to just kind of give them the lines and step out of their way? I I don't like to mess too much with it because you know you hire an actor, you trust that they're going to bring themselves to it and that what you liked in an, in an audition. I, uh, what I've done in the past recently, um, for my last two films, I, I like to have a read through and like to, um, at least sit with the actor and talk about the character in general. Like, okay, so this is who, this is who I see you as. This is what the character does. This is what the character is kind of feeling. You know, when they say this, they specifically, they're, they're not necessarily saying that they're thinking blah, 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 blah. You know, so all this subtextual material that needs to be, you know, explained so that the actor is sort of on the same playing field. But for the most part, if they nail it without me correcting, like, you know, great, I'm moving on. You got it. That's exactly what it is. And I and I would much prefer them to feel genuine and and not feel like uh, they're they're being affected by by notes in terms of like, uh, you know, oh no, say say this a little higher, say this say this part in a British accent, but this part. You know, in Spanish, you know, I, 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 not that that would ever happen, but who knows? But I, I don't like to micromanage the performance too much because I feel like it weakens it, and 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 the actor gets some, uh, you know, self conscious 
about, oh, this is exactly what he wants. I don't know if this is what he wants. So I tell them, we'll have this brief discussion. We'll do a table read. Uh, you know, I'll explain what the, you know, what the lines mean. If you have a question about like, well, why would he say this? Or why would he say that? Or whatever. There's, you know, usually if you write it right, then every line means something or has, you know, a benefit to the overall story. And then, then I like to let them fly and just go, well, you go. And if it sucks, I'll tell you it sucks. But if you don't, if you don't hear it from me, then you're doing good. So that's, that's kind of how I like to approach it. Well, your next film after Monster Man was something very special for you. And I got to be with you on this journey. And that was, of course, Corpses Are Forever. Yep. Um, uh, (laughs) Shot on 35. uh, And um, uh, my biggest movie, my biggest movie ever really to date uh, in terms of uh, um, shooting days and and budget. Well, maybe not budget, but definitely shooting days. Uh, We had 17. That's the longest amount of shooting days I've ever had. (laughs) And (laughs) all at night, too. And all at night, uh, that's sort of been my, these last two, man, have been all at night, too. It's, it's exhausting, but uh, it's tough. I mean, you make a horror movie, you kind of have to shoot at night, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, in your defense, uh, uh, not to give too much away, but, you know, the whole world is kind of like in darkness, so you kind of had to shoot at night. Yeah, I mean, I did write it, so I could have changed it to, like, sunny day at the beach with bikini <laughs> girls, but... Uh, uh, you know, we never got to make that sequel. That would have been the bikini one. <laughs> <laughs> but this was basically um, Night of the Living Dead meets James Bond. And mm-hmm. not only did you write it and direct it, but you also starred in it as well. Yep. Uh, again, one of those things where it's like, oh, I, I want to do it all. And uh, um, it was also a, a cost-saving thing. And like, well, what if we get hire a main actor or whatever? And you know, I had heard horror stories of like their, their lead actor not showing up and then the movie screwed. So I'm like, fuck it. I want to be there every day. So I'll be the lead actor. And and I'm a James Bond fan. So it was fun to sort of indulge in that, you know, the James Bond uh, aesthetic. And, um, you know, I, 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 I certainly had fun making it, but it was like every movie stressful. But, uh, you know, I think the uh, working with you finally on a movie and, um, you know, having, you know, put you through the ringer. That was a lot of fun to have you on set like that. And, um, I met my, I watched, no, I met my wife on another shoot, but, uh, she was in, she, she helped on this as well as my assistant director. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of good memories for this movie. You know, I think that the mark of a, the mark of a successful movie is if you walk away with some, you know, some really positive memories, um, despite how hard it may have been to make. I basically played um, the monster double for Conrad Brooks. And I remember we actually... And you were a soldier. And you were a soldier. And I was a soldier. So I had two roles in that film. Mm -hmm. And and I... But the monster role is the one I remember the most, obviously. But but I I remember uh, you found a makeup artist who actually put me through the whole process of putting plaster on my face and, and that whole thing and making it look like a monsterized uh, Conrad Brooks. And mm-hmm. I remember actually being on set and that whole thing of having that huge, heavy makeup. I mean, it was heavy and it was hot too. And you had like two people with fans like surrounding me. And of course I'm sitting there with all this makeup and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, but I couldn't get mad, you know, cause it, it was just, part of the process 
Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's funny because uh, you you had an experience that not a lot of, of actors have, but you've been a monster in a in a movie. So, like, I just worked with Doug Bradley. You know, he's Pinhead, and so he talks about having to wear the makeup and just kind of sitting around for hours until he, you know, they, they need him for one shot. And I go, okay, you're done for the day. You know, so it, it happens to it seems to happen to every monster actor that um, you know is 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 in is in makeup that uh, they have that same kind of. Uh, Okay, hurry up, get him, get him into costume. It takes four hours, and then they're just sitting around until they're needed. It's uh, it's funny, but it's it's, it's I'm almost every horror actor I've talked to has a, has a has a, uh, a story like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I can't really get pissed off at that, you know, because that's that's just part of the movie magic. Corpses Are Forever was definitely a big film for you, like you said. It was the longest shoot you've ever done, and there was a lot of moving parts to it. What were some things that you took away from that experience? Um, I, I, one thing I took away is never, never wanting to work with uh, film again uh, because it is very hard and uh, it's uh, it, it, time-consuming and, and 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 expensive. And something I, I, you know, didn't want to do again, but I liked that I was able to do it at least once. Um, in terms of in terms of what I took away, again, it just sort of learning what my aesthetic was, what kind of shots I liked, what kind of um, uh, composition worked for me, or what I was looking for in a performance. You know, you you always you always kind of want to soak that up because, uh, uh, like I said, you'll you'll learn as you go, and it was really my first movie in a sense because you know uh monster man was a shot on video movie with friends but here was a movie with a i had a dp i had a gaffer i had a i had grips i had pas and you know we had lights and 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 dolly tracks and and you know professional actors uh i mean i had professional actors on monster but you know what i mean um it was a bigger more you know full-blooded movie than than my first thing so it was uh it's a learning experience but uh honestly all you have to know even going into your first movie you just you just have to have the confidence that your vision is the most important thing i think every filmmaker should have a vision is kind of weird but at least an idea of what their movie is so that when you're on set everyone turns to you everybody turns to you they're gonna, they're gonna ask you what color tie do you like? Do you like the brown coat? Do you like the blue coat? You know, is this too much light? Is this too much makeup? Do, you know, do they look like a whore? And and it, you'll have to have an answer. You'll have to have an answer, you know, one way or another. Because if you're sitting around going, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, jeez, I don't know. You're going to hold up the production and you're you're no longer the captain of the ship. And I love, love being the captain of the ship. It's so fun. It's stressful, but I love it. I love so I love it so much. And you you have to get to that point where it's it's not work. It it, it it's literally is you going to play. Then jokes on the producer because it's it's it, you're getting paid to have fun. And uh, I think uh, I think most most people should remember that going into it that it should be a fun experience. It shouldn't be drudgery or maybe you're doing the wrong thing. You know, one thing that I tell people about you all the time, and it's the one thing that I love so much about you, is that I look at you today and I remember how I looked at you back in high school, and you really are the same exact person. You (laughs) still have this amount of fun that you like to have. The only thing different about you now is you have more facial hair, but that's about it. You know, and especially in Corpses Are Forever, 
yeah, you were working hard and you were putting everything into it, but you really were trying to make sure that everybody was having a good time. Mm -hmm. Is it difficult to kind of reinforce that, especially when, you know, things are coming towards the wire and there's a lot of things to work out? Does it get difficult to remind everyone, hey, we're having fun and we're here to have a good time? Absolutely. And, you know, I agree. I, I think uh, in terms of, um, I, I feel like I'm still, I'm still that high school kid who, you know, wanted to, you know, <laughs> wanted to make crazy movies and, uh, you know, uh, make movies about uh, uh, my, my cousin uh, hitting people in the nuts, you know, <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> but uh, I think you know, I was one uh, of those people I, he I, hit I, in the nuts. <laughs> you, I think you were, I think you were, yeah. uh, but um, um I think it's it's very yeah again you're the captain of the ship, uh, and you do hear horror stories of like oh the director was an asshole the director was abusive the director was sexually molested people whoever you know it's awful but you hear that stuff, um, you have to be the captain of the ship but you have to be, you have to be benevolent and it's stressful it's a stressful situation so you can't you can't I think being an asshole, um, is easy for some directors but they shouldn't do that I think it's beneath them to do something and I've heard. You know, a lot of people are very nice, but on set they're just bastards and just like mean. Uh, I've I've talked to a lot of you know actors like, man, you're one of my favorite directors because you're not mean like some of these other guys. I'm like that's great. You know, I I show I I try to wear something on set to sort of change the mood. Uh, on my last movie, I wore pink bunny no pink pink pig slippers um, around, and so I was walking around in slippers, and you know it relaxed the crew, the actors. It was a heavy movie, but it relaxed everybody because I, it looked like I was just relaxing. I was directing at home. You know, it, 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 well, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like a stressful situation, even though we were fighting the clock the whole time. And it was a stressful situation. And like, Oh, we got 10 pages to get through. We've got two hours. We have got to go. But as much as possible, you have to, you have to keep it light. You have to keep it, you know, Hey, we're all playing. We all came here to play because we love this so much. We can't hate this. We can't hate each other. Um, and, but it does get hard. It does get hard to juggle. At some point you have to go, you know what? I can't do that. I can't do that anymore. We have to get this in the camera. This has to happen now. Um, and, but most of that's with the crew in terms of like, guys, get the lights up now. We have to go. We're literally running out of time. This is taking too long, but that's why you have an assistant director who can be the asshole on set and go, come on guys, just come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, the assistant director is usually that person and the director can sit back and kind of, you know, crack jokes, you know, with the actors and, you know, let them feel relaxed because they have a lot of stress on them. They're, the camera's going to be on them. They have to remember all these lines. You don't want them feeling the tension of everybody being mad at each other because it, it bleeds on the screen. At the end of the day, no one's, you as an audience member aren't going to know that. You shouldn't know that. You're only looking at the actor. You're only looking at that. That's it. I tell the actors, you are the movie. No matter what I do. No matter what happens, no matter how many days, we, if we had 10 years to shoot this, you were the movie, no matter what. So don't fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily, they, they haven't yet. <laughs> how do you come up with the ideas for the movies that you write? Uh, you know, it's it's tough. I, I've written a lot of what you call spec script, uh, speculation scripts which is like I have an idea and I want to write it out. So I have a lot of those and those just kind of come out of the blue. It's, it's really hard to describe it to somebody in terms of, because people ask, go, how do you write? And it's like, I just, I just do it. And it's, it's really hard to um, put it into words. Um, you know, there's some people that outline a lot. 
There's some people that spend like a month, you know, just outlining the character's life. To me, that's pointless because who cares what they did in high school? They're fighting a giant shark right now. That's the story. Unless them being a you know football jock is gonna play into the into the story, you're wasting your time. You're just delaying the story um, in terms of work. Uh, but everybody has their own approach. You know, I, I I like to do an outline of the scenes in order. So like scene one is this, scene two is that, blah blah blah, and then I'll go from there and start writing. Um, and then I, I like to let the characters talk for the most part. Uh, once I've connected with the material, then then it flows. But in terms of the ideas, they just they just come to you when they're ready. And then the last two movies I've made um, have been um, commissions from the production company. Like, oh, we want a we want a headless horseman movie. Oh, we want an exorcist movie. Okay, and then I work with the development team over at Asylum to figure out what exactly is the movie that I want to make and what exactly is the movie that Asylum wants to see. And then we meet in the middle and. Uh, and then movie magic happens. When you moved to Los Angeles, and I don't remember what year that was, but when you move, when you and your wife moved to Los Angeles, what was the trajectory that you had planned for yourself? Uh, you know, you always expect the best. You know, you always expect to um, move, uh, move to LA, sell a spec script, get an agent. You know, blah blah blah. But it rarely happens that way. And then there's some people who live in Timbuktu and win a screenplay contest, and then they, they get they, they get their their TV spec, uh, you know, uh, greenlit, and then now they have a TV show and they have to move to LA. So every everybody's journey is different, um, you know, for better or worse. Um, I, I I was hoping to get an agent and and, and start making you know big features, and I, my 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 dream was to be like the next John Carpenter and make movies like Halloween and Escape from New York and things like that, but. The reality is uh, there's only one John Carpenter and, and his journey is not my journey. And, uh, I've, you know, I met with agents, I met with managers, I met with studios, you know, I almost sold something to Sony. I almost sold something to MGM. I almost sold something to, um, uh, Lakeshore entertainment. Uh, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen that way. And, um, you know, it was hard. It was debilitating. It was soul crushing. Um, I quit a dozen times and, you know, to the point like, I can't do this anymore. I hate this so much. This is, this is no longer fun, but at the end of the day, I couldn't think of anything else I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, I, I, I would tell people don't, don't have an idea of what your career will be. Um, but hustle to make it, make a career. Uh, I think that's more important than, than saying, Oh, it didn't go the way I pictured it because it never, never does. Well, yeah, I remember a couple of years ago, you said publicly that that's it. I'm, I'm done with Hollywood. I'm done with the movie business and, and, I'm, and I'm throwing it all the way. What were some of the things that kind of led to that decision? Well, that was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And um, there were a couple things. There were two projects that were looked pretty solid. There was a Lifetime Channel movie that I had written and I was going to direct. Um, one that I really that, that I thought was, was really good and, and solid and um, literally just disappeared overnight. They just stopped emailing me. I'm like, what, the, what, what happened? Where, where's everybody? And then only like weeks later, I go, oh yeah, we're not going to do it. Like, what the, what the fuck? Tell me. You know, don't, don't, just, don't just ignore me. Like, just tell me what's going on. You, I, you guys aren't children. Um, and then I had a TV show 
which was sort of in development and 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 that sort of just fizzled out in a really awkward way that I didn't understand. Uh, it's just one of those things where I was developing it with um, um, a, pro- a producer and uh, you know who's done some big TV shows and then and then he just like I, I just I, I don't know what this is anymore and then and then he just stopped calling me back. So you know, just frustrating, like, like dead ends that come out of nowhere, like, wait, what? Hold, hold on. Wait, how, how was this over? And it almost felt like the universe was telling you, stop, man, you're done. This isn't for you. And, and, and that just beat me down. And like I said, it was at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm like, I'm done, man. Fuck it. It's over. This is, this is too hard. I hate this. Um, it's frustrating, uh, and soul crushing. I don't think it was meant to be. And then only until I reached the end of the pandemic, I'm like, I can't think of anything else I want to do. And that's when I that's when I um, returned to asylum, and they 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 welcomed me with open arms, which is which is nice. Mm-hmm. You've had a, a couple of great movies since you came back into the scene, so to speak. You had The Haunting of Whaley House, that was a that was a wonderful film. You also had um, The Legend of La. I'm going to mispronounce this. The Legend of La Llorona. Am I saying that right? <laughs> I'm probably not. Yorona. Right, that that, and um, and then you also recently had the Headless Horseman, which was a a very very cool film. It's like folklore meets Ghost Rider, so it seems like uh, things are starting to swing up for you. So my question is, how important is it to be tenacious when you're in this business? You know, you have to be. Um, uh, it's one of those things where. Um, they forget you if you're not, uh, if you, if, if you're not hounding them, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You have to, you have to be your biggest fan and not necessarily think, Oh, I'm the best, you know, I'm, I'm the ultimate, uh, filmmaker or whatever, but you have to be your cheerleader. You know, you have to put yourself, um, out there and, and get as much attention as you possibly can from the people who would, would give you a movie or, or support you in any way. And, you can't be quiet um, and, and you can't hope that it happens to you because it a hundred percent will not, you know, this is, this is very much a business of, uh, uh, of, of hustling. And uh, if, if you don't, if you don't do that, you're not going to go very far. Uh, it's definitely not for, you know, weak individuals who are shy. I mean, I'm fairly, I, I'm, I consider myself fairly shy. Like at parties, I usually kind of stand in the corner if I don't know anybody and just kind of, I hate parties. I don't really go anyway, but that's you know that's I, I'm I'm not a very social person not because uh, you know I don't like to be but I I'm, I have anxiety about that but when it comes to work you have to uh, put yourself out there because at the end of the day that's what you want to do and if you're scared to do it, it you're just not going to get anything out of it and you're gonna you're gonna sit around going God damn I regretted that you know 20 years ago I didn't say something to this person or you know, take the chance to work on that set or, you know, all that stuff. Um, uh, you have to, tena- you know, tenacity um, is, is just as important as having talent. If you're tenacious, but you suck, you won't know if you suck. That's the thing. Um, but it, it's one of those things where um, even if you suck, you can still have a career. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be, you have to be tenacious and you have to be willing to learn and grow um, uh, because no one's perfect uh, their first time out. You know, especially in horror, there are some films where it's very unique, it's very original, and then there are other films that just kind of feel like the same thing over and over and over again. Somebody is just copying somebody else. 
when you're working on a film, how do you make sure that that film feels like Jose and nobody else? Well, that goes back to um, uh, what I suggested. You watch a lot of movies. You watch as many movies. Whenever I'm like, uh, I made an uh, Exorcist movie, and um, I tried to watch as many Exorcist movies, not just Exorcist one and two, but as many different uh, Exorcist movies as possible, as many budget levels as possible, so you know the genre and you know what people have done, and you don't copy it. And you go, oh, I like this concept, but I don't like how they did this. So maybe I'll use it and tweak it around and do that. Or like, oh, I was thinking of doing that, but I, I see it doesn't work. So I, I, I don't think I'm going to try it. So you, you just have to absorb as much of uh, similar material as you can get your hands on and then do your best to uh, interpret it. I think you'll every creator will essentially put their own stamp on it because I think everyone does have a flavor creatively and uh, you make it your own just by writing it just by, you know, being a part of it. Um, but I do think it's important to not, not rip off too much of, of a concept. So it feels like, you know, I, I, why would I watch this? I could just watch, you know, that you want, you want, you want to throw in a little, a, a, a little twist and turn there so that, uh, uh, it's rewarding for the audience. It, it, they don't feel like they've wasted their time. The Exorcists is your latest movie that just came out. I got to watch it this past weekend and I absolutely loved it. And it definitely speaks to your point because it definitely doesn't feel like every other exorcism movie. It's definitely different. It definitely has that Jose Prendes feel to it. Can you talk about where you came up with this idea and what the process of filming that was like? Uh, sure. I don't want to give too much away. Uh, spoiler wise, but uh, yeah, no spoilers, yeah, we, no spoilers. Yeah. We've seen, you know, everyone's seen exorcist movies. So, you know, there's things that, you know, have to go in an exorcist movie to be an exorcist movie. Uh, but then I wanted to add, uh, little tweaks genre tweaks here and there to kind of make it more interesting a little more uh more italian in in the in the 1970s sense you know dario argento-esque lucio fulci kind of asking those filmmakers just to change it up a little bit because people have seen the typical exorcist movie so you you give them the cake that they came to eat but then the icing has to be has to be a surprise um, and, and I love doing that. I love, I love playing with expectations. I love surprising an audience. Um, sometimes I'm writing and I'll do something I'm like, Oh man, I, I honestly didn't write. I, it, like, it surprised me. I'm like, Holy crap, that works. Okay. <laughs> and that's when, you know, the story's taken over when you get to like, Oh my God, we, I, I was setting this up this whole time. I didn't even realize it. Moments like that are so great because then you're playing with the material and, and, and the script is having fun with you. And it's sort of, it's almost like you're channeling it from a different universe and you're sort of like, it's like you're watching the movie and writing it down as it's happening in your head. Um, and, and then something happens. You're like, oh, wow. Ooh, oh, nice. you know, I love that stuff. So I, I, I like to put those in as much as possible so that uh, hopefully the audience has a similar reaction. Uh, but this was a six-day movie, uh, another six-day movie under $100,000. Uh, all basically in one location. Yeah, all, all in one location for the most part, but we made it look like a whole bunch of different ones. Um and um, I got to work with Doug Bradley, who was Pinhead in the Hellraiser movies. Um, uh, Denise Duff returned again uh, from Monster Man, my leading lady in that. Um, uh, gosh, uh, I got Kate Hodge from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, and uh, she returns from Headless Horseman. She played a part in that. 
Um, and then I'm, I'm blanking. Oh, we got Michelle Bauer, who's like a famous scream queen from the eighties. It was, it was a lot of fun, man. It was, it was very stressful. I, I, I'll tell you what, it was a difficult production. Um, you know, so maybe that bodes well to the movie success, but it was a difficult production. And one that like, I, I, I almost came close to having a heart attack on because we were running far behind. I was, it's probably the most, probably the only time I ever lost my temper on set is because we were really far behind and, you know, the line producer was like, we got to go, we got to go. We got two hours. We, you know, we got to get out here in two hours and we got to sit like shoot like three more scenes. You guys got to hustle. You got to go. You got to go. And like, we're doing our best. We're doing our best. We're, you know, we're going as fast as we can. And we went over a lot. We were only supposed to shoot 12 hours and two hours a day, according to, you know, um, our contract with the location. But we went 16, 18, just because we had to get the movie in. And the movie looks great. And so I, lo- I love my DP because he did, I mean, he made the movie look like a beautiful Renaissance painting. But it's hard. It's hard to make a movie look good and get and get solid performances. And the poor actors, most times, was only one take, you know. And uh, that's very hard, you know. Um, so we had we had time to rehearse. And I said, guys, here's what I'm going to do. If in the scene, I don't like how it's going, I'm just going to ask you, go back to this and try that. And so we would basically get our two takes in one shot by like me making, okay, I like that line. I like the line. Ooh, uh, no, go back to that first line when you say uh, the thing about the door. Now say it like this. Uh, say, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't do a line reading, but I'd, I'd say, say it with more hesitancy because it sounded like you were happy about it. And um, then the actor would get it. Okay, moving on, continue. And so we would tweak in the shot, but we wouldn't be able to, you know, do the whole scene. Cut. Okay, let's talk about it. Okay, so do this, do this. Okay, guys, let's uh, set up for two. You know, it was it had to be very quick because you we, we couldn't sit around. Um, it's exhausting. It's exhausting for the crew. It's exhausting for the actors. Um, but at the end of the day, everybody just wanted to make a good movie, and that's what you need. You need a team of people who really give a shit, really want to make a good movie. And uh, they'll do that no matter what. And uh, luckily, uh, I was surrounded by a whole bunch of people who gave a shit. And uh, that, that's, that, that saved the movie because you, know, you have you have maybe a couple bad apples. Uh, it could spoil the whole thing. And luckily, we were, uh, for, the, for the most part, we, we, we all survived unscathed. You know, you mentioned that you got to work with Douglas Bradley and Denise Duff came back and you've had the opportunity to work with people who you not only admire, but you were also a big fan of. What is it like to get to work with these people who you grew up really, um, really liking a whole lot and now they get to work under you? What's that feeling like? Oh, man, it's it, it's a, it's insane because uh, you don't want to you don't want to like geek out too much. Like, oh, my God, you're fitted. That's cool. <laughs> You know, um, you can have that moment, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you have to, you, you're the captain of the ship and you can't be a goofball that's like, okay, cut. I, right, could you sign this for me real quick? <laughs> you know, you, you, you have to, you have to, you have to have your game face on and you have to be as professional as possible. And at the end of the day, they're a professional and you're a professional. And while they may have made more movies, they may have had bigger experiences and whatever, have have more money and more fame or whatever. At the end of the day, they're an actor and you're a director. And um, if if you show weakness, then they, 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 you know, sometimes they won't listen or they won't give a shit. Um, but if you show them that you know what you want and you're in charge and uh, uh, this is this is your movie, um, you know, that. Uh, they're there to please you. They're there to make the. They're there to make your movie. You know, so it's 
um, you kind of have to disconnect from the fanboy thing. But it, uh, absolutely, it's it's amazing to be working with people that you that you appreciate. You know, uh, their uh, their other cinematic works. It's it's incredible. I mean, it's an incredible thing uh, to be considered worthy enough to be a part of their filmography. If if it, if you were, but uh, um, always remember that you have to be a professional at the end of the day because that's that's your job and you you, you don't want to be the fanboy who you know comes off badly because you're not doing your job as a director for you is there a dream movie that you haven't made yet but are hoping to do very soon uh there's uh i really want to do a western uh like a really old uh, like old-fashioned the good the bad and the ugly type western uh, I've got a script that I love, you know, at one point, again, this goes back to, you know, one of the reasons I, I wanted to quit because I had, I had this Western set up and, uh, it was, it was Thomas Jane, Nick Nolte, Jeremy Irons, Al Pacino, like everybody, I had these big names attached and then disappeared like smoke. And it's just like, God damn it. Like, what do I got to do? Like, how does that movie not get made? Uh, it's frustrating. Uh, so that's a hundred percent a movie that I would make, uh, given the chance, who knows if I can get those actors again, but, uh, it's, it, it's, it's a script I love. Um, and, and one that hopefully one day, uh, I can come to life, come to life. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I just want to do any Western. I just, I love the genre and I, and I, and I, I think I can have a lot of fun with the, uh, my shot selection and all that good stuff. Here's something that I'm curious about because you just finished uh, The Exorcist and it just premiered and it's out on various streaming platforms and limited release in, uh, in some theaters. And now you're going mm-hmm. on to, into something else that I know you can't talk about right now. How is it to be able to just work on a film and then just all of a sudden just in your mind kind of shut that off and now focus on the next project at hand? Uh, you know, you, you, I don't know how other people do it, but for me, it's it's one of those things that once the movie is edited and and sort of delivered, that's it. There's not, not much you can do with it anymore. Now it's now it's the audience's movie. Now now it lives in 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 dreamland for the most part. It's like you know you're, you're sending your kid off to college. Bye. I'll see you. Good luck, and I, I hope it all works out. Um, I'll, I'll see you around. You know, I'll, I'll tell people you're there. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it, it's very different in the indie space because you don't really get like movie junkets and interviews with you know Entertainment Tonight and things like that. It, it you know for the most part, a lot of those movies sadly disappear. But you do the most you can sort of get get word out about it. That's why it's more of a positive thing to focus on what's next, what's coming up next, because that's something that you do have control over. You you, you know you have control over what the characters say and all this stuff and. Uh, you can finally influence a movie, but once the movie's out, it's it's out and it lives its own life, and 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 hopefully hopefully people give it a chance and watch it, and you know you and you move on. But uh, you you have you have to disconnect uh, because uh, at the end of the day, um, it's over. There's not not much you can add to the conversation beyond having made the movie. You know, this isn't a spoiler, but. In one of the scenes in The Exorcist, your two kids appear in the movie. What's it like to direct your two children? Uh, it was great. You know, uh, I, I, I will say they were a little bummed because they auditioned for, for role, lead roles in the film. 
And uh, the producers said no, not me. I, I They were my first choice, of course, because they would kill me if I didn't say that. Uh, but I feel they did a really good audition as well. Um, and uh, the producers went in a different direction, unfortunately. So they were a little bummed that they couldn't have bigger roles. Uh, but uh, it's it's nice to, to be able to, to put them in there. And then, you know, years later, they can see themselves on screen and, and, you know, maybe show their kids and be like, oh, my God, you were so little, Dad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All that stuff is great. You know, it's, uh, again, it's leaving that legacy, leaving that trail behind, being, being the cinematic George Bailey as much as possible. I, I like that. There's something very special about that, being able to capture that time and, and capture that time, that place, and that age, you know, that they're in. And uh, them being able to go back and remember working with their dad and, having that experience and uh, you know, one day when I'm not here, they can go back and remember that day and, and see that scene. And uh, it's, it's, it's a secret connection through time. And I think that's, that's why movies are so powerful too. Cause one of my favorite actors is, is uh, Jimmy Stewart. Never met him, but I've seen all his movies over and over again. And I feel a connection to him and, and I, I, I still get emotional when he's George Bailey. I still get emotional in other roles he's in. I just think he's a really genuine human being in everything he does. He's done a lot of Westerns too. And he's really, he's just an incredible actor and I've never met him, but there's an emotional connection there with with him. And that's, you know, that's something that you don't really get with paintings or books because uh, books you read by yourself for the most part, you know, in a movie, you see it on a big screen, you can share that with an audience, a painting, you know, I, I don't know Van Gogh, but yeah, he painted a cool chair but, you know, I'm being reductive, but I feel movies allow you to have more of a human connection and more of an emotional reaction to, to people. And they are slices of time. They're, that, they're absolutely time travel, the, 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 um, the best kind of time travel, time travel that's uh, not realistic because we can, we can shape the world the way we want it. We can have happy endings. The world isn't full of happy endings. The world doesn't really end. You know, our story doesn't end until you die. And that's not necessarily a happy ending. So, you know, you want to be able to have that joyful moment of triumph in your life. And a lot of us don't get that. Uh, but movies give us that. And I think, um, you know, being able to share that with my children has been something that's, that's been important to me. So um, when shaping their cinematic education, because I want them to, to know how important it is um, to have that feeling and to know that movies are, I, I think you said it, you said it best, the therapeutic you know, they, they, they really allow you to either work shit out or experience stuff that you don't want to experience in real life, but you've had that experience, sort of like going to a haunted house. Nobody wants to get chased by a maniac, but it's, you know, <laughs> it's fun on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Jose, I got one final question for you, my friend. What's the one piece of advice that has served you well that you want everyone else to hear? Hmm. One that served me well. That's interesting. Um, I should probably have an answer for this. Um, I don't know that anybody's uh, necessarily given me advice before that I've ever, like, like. I mean, they probably have, but I don't know that it's, it's really stuck with me in terms of, like, really remembering it, that I've, I've passed it on to people. Um, um, I guess the only thing I would say is, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you're considering a, a creative life, remember that it's not easy. 
Uh, remember that um, there's some days where you will be at the end of your rope and you're like, this is it. I'm done. And I, I never, I never want anything to do with this. Um, it's, it's, it's not easy. Most times it's never financially um, lucrative, but it's worth it. It's worth it because the people that can create should create because the world needs it. You know, the world is, especially now is so bleak you know, and, and ugly sometimes that, uh, um, it's the artists is it's the dreamers that, that must dream for those who have forgotten to do so. Um, and, um, that makes it almost a, an imperative on your part to go out and, um, create as much as possible and entertain as much as possible. And maybe you won't necessarily change the world, but like George Bailey, you might, might brighten somebody's day and, maybe inspire them to go make something beautiful uh, or help somebody out or, you know, or, or make a friend. And that could be, that can make the difference at the end of the day. And you'll never know. You'll never, ever know. But it doesn't matter. You don't have to know. It's, it wasn't for you to know. You know, in film school, I was like, oh, we're going to change the world. We're going to change the world. And in my mind, I'm like, you're not going to change the world by making a movie. But you can maybe change somebody's perspective. And, and that small little thing could eventually change, you know, their world. And I think that's powerful. So it's not always easy, but it's worth it. I think is what I would say. Well, my friend, I am so incredibly proud of you. I'm proud of where you've been. I'm proud of what you are currently doing and what we'll continue to do. And I see nothing but great stuff for you, my friend. Thank you so much for being here, buddy. Thank you, buddy. It's an it's an honor, and uh, uh, I know I know we'll keep in touch because we do. And uh, I I look forward to what what the future holds. Actually, I got something to talk to you about, but we'll do it off air. All right. Is it corpses too? No, I wish. I wish, <laughs> but it, uh, I, I I'm I'm working on something now, and I I I may have a, a juicy a little role in there for you. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that later. But until then, thank you so much, Jose. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, man. And uh, everyone out there, have a great night. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. It's not always lucrative, but it is worth it. Let's all remember Jose's words today. You never know what your creativity can do for people. I want to thank my friend Jose Prendes for joining me on the podcast today. As you've heard, he's an amazing man with so much to give and a lot to share. Be sure to check out his latest film, The Exorcists, available to rent or buy on Apple TV, Vudu, or Amazon Prime. You can also find a full list of his movies at imdb.com and a full list of his books at goodreads.com. Be sure to also check out his YouTube channel, Master Chaos, for lots of fun content as well as live panels and movie reviews. I'm slowly developing a new website for myself. I'll provide more details once that's available. But in the meantime, you can check out TogetherByMyself.com to learn about my solo improv show. And you can also find me on YouTube at my two channels, Together By Myself and LD Madeira Magic. Thank you all for taking this journey with me, my friends. I love you all, and you mean so much to me. Remember, don't give up, no matter how hard it gets. It's all worth it in the end. I'm LD Madera, 
and I'll see you on the next episode of Improv and Magic. Take care, everybody.